Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to the 43rd edition of Where They At. My name is Nabate Isles, and it's always a pleasure to speak with luminaries in the world of sports, as well as a few iconic creative artists. And these individuals have really paved the way for following generations with the excellence that they've exuded. And before I introduce the gentleman that I have the honor to converse with, I want to let you all know to check out where they at and please subscribe and or rate on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, to make sure that you are able to listen to past episodes as well as be aware of new episodes that premiere too. So uh, keep track of this show that really profiles the great individuals in sports and entertainment as well. So now, The gentleman that I'm introducing, he has accomplished so much in the game of basketball in all levels and all areas of the game. Uh, First, he starred within the rich tradition of the University of California of Los Angeles, UCLA basketball, leading the Bruins to the 1980 NCAA title game. And he became a two-time NBA All-Star, being one of the most gifted offensive players in the 1980s, playing for 13 seasons and 12 of those seasons with playoff teams. And he went on to lead front offices with the Denver Nuggets, as well as the New Jersey Nets. And now he's the executive vice president of basketball operations for the National Basketball Association. And the honor to feature Mr. Rod Thorne, who had the the same position as well on an earlier episode, episode three of, of Where They At. Well, it's my pleasure to introduce the one and only Mr. Kiki Vandeway. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Wow. Can you do uh, that uh, intro again? <laughs> but you deserve that introduction because you've accomplished so much, not just on the court, but off the court and being able to, to be a success in everything that you've done for sure. Well, you know, it's, it's funny because there's, uh, you know, it, it, as you go on in life, you learn that you get through with a lot of little failures and a lot of little successes. And as long as you sort of get by the failures and keep going and, and build on and enjoy the successes, you know, the even the, even the small ones. And that's what I want to tell everybody is, you know, we all have little, little successes in our lives, things that we kind of accomplished that we wanted to accomplish. And it may not mm-hmm. seem like a big deal to anybody else. Celebrate those. Celebrate. Yes. Those are important, uh, especially in these times. You know, these are these are tough times for everybody. Uh, you know, and, I, and now we don't have to, you know, go on to that too much. But, you know, you, you have to take care of yourself. You have to make sure that that um, even if even if nobody's noticing, you accomplished a goal that you wanted to accomplish, and and um, you feel good about it, and that'll that'll build on itself. Yes, no question about that, Kiki. Wow, and thanks for those words for sure. And and that's what it's all about—the small, because small things equal big things. At the end of the day, a brick building is one brick at a time. So true. You know, it's it's the foundation you build every single day. Um, you know that you know maybe success. Uh, comes across and you can build a, a beautiful building, but if you don't have a great foundation, if you don't have the fundamentals, and that goes, that, that honestly goes for everything. And that goes for players on the court. I tell them the exact same thing, you know, mm-hmm. understand the fundamentals of the game. You look at the greatest players 
in basketball history. And I don't know, you name anybody you think is the greatest player of all time from, you know, Michael Jordan to Magic Johnson, to Wilt Chamberlain, to Bill Russell, to Mm -hmm. Larry Bird. I don't care. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I know I've forgotten a whole bunch of them and left them (laughs) out, but there's so many great players. The one thing they have in common besides, you know, a tremendous heart and work ethic is they have great fundamentals. They Mm -hmm. really know their, they know their craft and they've invested in their craft. And you think about the great Kobe Bryant, you know, who we lost way too early. Uh, You know, his fundamentals were second to none. Michael Jordan's fundamentals of the game, his footwork, um, Mm -hmm. his execution, you know, just was amazing. And night in and night out, their habits carried them through, even when they might have had a bad shooting night. Mm-hmm. Their fundamentals were so good that they ended up successful. Just it's just something to remember in anything you're doing. You know, mm-hmm. make sure you invest in the fundamentals of whatever you're doing. Understand those well, mm-hmm. and you'll have a great launching pad for a tremendous career. Absolutely, that's for sure, sir. And 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 Kiki, it's very interesting. You talked about talking with younger players. Now, I'm sure it's it's a shame that a lot of the younger players are not into the history. A lot of I'm not saying everyone, but did um any of the young players, the current generation of stars or or starters in the league, you know, did they ever come up to you and said, "Wow, I didn't know who you were, but I saw you on YouTube when you dropped 51 against the Pistons or 47 again. <laughs> you you could score, you." Did you ever get that enthusiasm from any of the young players? <laughs> you, you know what I get is I get, you know, I picked you on 2K. You know, it's like, I, I you know, you you were, I, I forget what it was, but you, you were some standard where, you know, if I, if, if I picked you, um, you know, you, you know, you were pretty good. And it, they didn't know that I actually even played. It was like, you know, like, wow. but on the video game, you were good. And it's like, okay, sounds good. I'll, you know what? I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, no doubt. And just looking at you were ahead of your ahead of your time for sure. And we're going to talk about a couple of factors that made you ahead of your time for sure. Very sad news that came out within the last couple of weeks about um, a mutual friend of you and I, Mr. Mark Eaton. And he he came on to UCLA right after you graduated and everything. Um, talk about your memories and how you both are very similar with your success in the business world after playing. So talk about what Mark Eaton meant to you and, and how you guys were able to interact. Well, first, you know, first of all, very sad and, and condolences to his family. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's really uh, who suffers, but it, it, condolences to all the NBA fans, all his teammates that, that loved him. And, and he was loved. Mm-hmm. He was truly one of the good people. Um, yes. Yes, really reached uh, for all his successes, always thought about other people. Even when he was blocking all my shots, he said, <laughs> I have, you know, just my job. I have to do it. But he was, he was a person who just gave of himself constantly. He was always speaking to kids. He was always trying to do something in the community. And, you know, he really, you know, it's the old adage, doing good by doing good. And he lived that. Um, He tried to do good by others. He tried to bring value to this world and make the lives of others better. And we say that all the time. And many times we we, we don't quite accomplish that. But if you start off with that, 
and start off with that as your goal. I want to make the lives of others better. I want to be valuable to them for that. Then you know what? You will bring value and get value. Um, you know, that's, that's what a lot of people uh, don't understand about uh, many times about the world it, is uh, you want to, you know, if you want to earn a good living, if you want to do well yourself, you need skills um, that people will pay for. And you need, so you need to improve their lives as well. And if you start with that mentality, like a market you did, uh, that, that really is a tremendous lesson. And he was just a great example for all of us. You know, a fun, funny story about Mark. Most people don't realize that, that he was, he started off not playing basketball, you know, and I've, in fact, I don't even think he played in high school. He started off as a car mechanic. Yeah, and, right in Inglewood. You know, exactly <laughs> right, and, and I think it was the uh, the coach of Cypress College. I, I believe it was you know discovered him working in you know whatever it was a Midas muffler shop or something like that. You know it was it was a, it was a car place, and so um, you know, but he he so he didn't know anything about basketball. Um, you know, he knew about cars, and and uh, when I first met him, you know, I used to buy and sell. Shelby Mustangs. And that was a, that was a car. I, I, I love the Shelby Mustangs, but I couldn't really afford to, to uh, own them. But mm-hmm. so I bought and sold them. So I got it to drive them a little bit. And, um, you know, so I hold a, owned a whole bunch of them. Well, I used to, obviously I couldn't afford to, in college, I couldn't afford to pay somebody else to work on. So I worked on it. Mm-hmm. Not very well. I would hate to bought one of my cars. They didn't work right. But um, anyway, I was having trouble with the brakes on this one car. And so I was sort of talking to somebody, Mark over, Mark overheard me. He says, well, I'll help you. Next thing I know, he's up in my driveway, you know, all seven foot four of him bent down. He pulls the, you know, he pulls the brakes off and, and yanking it off. And he says, you dummy, you don't know what you're doing here. Let me fix it. He fixed the brakes. It was wow. great. You know, it was, it was, it was a, men, a tremendous thing. And, you know, he, he was somebody who just wanted to help. That was the story of his life. He just wanted to help. He didn't want yes. anything. For it. He just wanted to do yeah. something good for somebody else. Made me feel great, you know, and, and uh, saved me a lot of money, too, because I couldn't <laughs> do it. But, uh, you know, it was obviously losing somebody like him, um, you know, who we were all close to and all appreciated who and what he was. You know, it's a tremendous loss for everybody, but I don't, again, you know, uh, giving his family their space and, and their way to mourn uh, mm-hmm. of the loss of somebody so important, uh, yeah. you know, is, is important as well. So, you know, we'll, we'll miss Mark, no question about it, but always the thought of him, it, it brings a smile to your face and it brings, yeah. a, you know, I think about him, I smile internally, I miss him, no doubt about it, but I remember good memories from Mark. He made, made me feel good, which is at the end of the day, you, many times you forget what people say and you forget the yes. words that they use, but it's how do, you, how do they make you feel, feel. You know, as a person um, about yourself? What was their attitude? Were they always positive or were they always negative? Or were, you know, what, what, what did they bring across? And, and Mark always brought the positive. And uh, a can-do attitude, a positive uh, outlook on life, mm-hmm. and just made you feel better. And that's that's 
to me, if you're going to leave um, a mark on this world, you know, leave it feeling better about itself, that it can accomplish uh, and solve some of the tough problems that we have in this world right now. No, absolutely. Wow. So eloquently said uh, here with uh, Mr. Kiki Vandeway, Executive Vice President of the National Basketball Association, basketball operations for the NBA, as well as two-time NBA All-Star 2, one of the most potent offensive players in the 1980s for sure, here on Where They At, the 43rd edition. And, and sir, this, wow, there's a lot to talk to you about with the current NBA and what's happening, uh, especially, you know, going back to COVID and everything. Like, isn't it amazing all of these arenas are now near capacity, pretty much? I mean, seeing the scene with the Phoenix Suns and their playoff series against Denver, I mean, the crowd, and then Madison Square Garden against the Hawks, you know, and everything in the Knicks, that infectious crowd. So, wow, talk about, like, how uh, the NBA has created such a universal, like, system and protocol for the franchises to follow to make sure people are safe being in close proximity. Well, you know, thank you for that. You know, it's a it's a huge team effort. Um, and I think that's one thing the NBA always stands for and is really good at is getting everybody to collaborate and to believe that it's possible. You know, I can remember thinking about uh, last year, how are we going to play and, and um, thinking about this, this bubble that was created down in Orlando, um, just the hundreds of people that it took to pull that off and the thousands of people who came and contributed, not just the players who you all saw on TV, but you know the, the people behind the scenes um, that really made this all work. And, and to me, that's, that's sort of the, the secret of the NBA in, in many ways is, is they just elicit this dedication to the game and, and uh, you know, putting the game first and putting the, you know, the, the fans first and the fan experience and, and um, you know, so joining together and working hard, and, um, you know, that's, you know, kind of this common goal, uh, which is a hallmark of all successful sports teams, but it's a, it's a hallmark of all successful businesses and enterprises. And, and um, you know, the NBA really does a fantastic job of that. And then obviously there's special people, there's superstars in, in, in our league and some of the, some of the young superstars that I've watched are just unbelievable. If you've watched these, these playoffs, wow. Luca and Trey and Booker and Jokic and Lillard and Mitchell, <laughs> the list goes on and on. And I don't care when you turn on an NBA game, I don't care what game it is. You're going to see some things that you've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and I've seen a lot of games. I've been at this game for over 30 years as a player and a coach and a general manager. And, and now as a, you know, as a league executive mm -hmm. um, and I'm amazed every single night. It, mm -hmm. I'm, I truly am just seeing things that I've never seen before. The talent is off the charts. The mm -hmm. skill is off the charts. The creativity is amazing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I always tell people, you know, what a show, just, you know, just watch even if you only have 10 minutes, just watch for a little while. You know, you're going to see Trey Young do something you've never oh. seen before. Or Luca do something you've never seen before. Jokic or, you know. Well, actually, he does. Phillips. 
he does something you've done before. And that's that step back. But we'll talk about that a little later. Well, it's just a, it's it's a lot of fun. And, and uh, you know, this game is this game is always evolving. That's 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 kind of the cool thing. It's it's not a game, you know, game started. I think the NBA started in the late 40s. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you think about the game that how it looked in the 50s and the 60s, maybe and how it's evolved to today. And uh, it's it just keeps changing and, and, you know, kind of with the times and, and with the great talent that we've got on the court now and, and uh, you know, and, and the opportunity that's out there uh, for young players to do great and, and the opportunity for them to lift up people in their community and, and um, even the outreach now beyond uh, the community. That was always something in the NBA, always had the great outreach within the community. But today, you know, you can help uh, people in Africa and India, China and and, um, all over the world, uh, Mm -hmm. which is just amazing by playing basketball and giving back and and donating your time and and, uh, just the reach of the NBA. It's Mm -hmm. truly a global game. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we see it over here in the United States uh, and obviously appreciate it. But the, the lives that it touches all around the world and improves all around the world is nothing short of amazing. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, and, and it's good that now, you know, with the arenas, like it's 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 been pretty like they've they've kept the NBA abreasted on everything with vaccinated sections, unvaccinated sections, everything like that. Right. Yeah. No, that's right. It, it, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, it, it, it's just it's great to see fans in the arena. That's the first mm-hmm. thing. You know, if you've ever played, uh, you know, without fans and then you you see it with fans, it's a different vibe. Um, This is all about that experience, the Mm -hmm. live experience. And, and, um, you know, it's just it's fascinating because, you know, at the end of the day, so few of our fans actually get to go to a game. You know, Mm -hmm. they experience through, you know, watching it on TV or their mobile device or, you know, they still stream it over their computer, whatever the case might be. but just that vibe within an arena with fans in there um, watching, you know, the game at, or, or being at the game at Madison Square Garden, um, mm. you know, when fans are starting to be in the building and watching, watching that, you know, all around our league. Now we have fans in the building watching the Phoenix game the other night with fans in their building. And, mm. and uh, you can see the level of the play pops up a little bit. That's you right. know, it, it really gets a little bit better. It's, it's got more energy. You can see the players are they're, uh, they're, they're going even that much harder. So it's just, it's just great to have the fans back in the building is, is uh, something that's, that's really special um, to all of us. I really think. Wow. And, and what's your take as a former player about, you know, the controversy that's going on with fans and trying to become part of the action, which they should not be. It's a shame that especially after the pandemic where arenas were empty, you know, and now things are going on. So um, talk about as a former player, I know you, you, you empathize with, with players because in the eighties, I'm sure Kiki, there were, there was a lot of things going on, which, which obviously are not being policed like it is today. So um, talk about like, uh, you know, what strategies will the MBPA and the NBA be going over to, to deal with um, unruly fans? Well, you know, we have great fans. Um, there's, there's mm-hmm. no doubt about that. Yeah, overall, very, very few sort of get into a, a bit of trouble and, and uh, you know, 
So the, the vast, vast majority of fans um, come to really enjoy the game and uh, cheer for their team and, and, you know, boo the opposing team and, and, and just have a great time. And they do have a great time. But there's always, in, in every case, you know, uh, every situation, there's always some people that, that do something might be a little bit inappropriate at the time. And, and mm. uh, we, we have to recognize that. And, we, you know, it's a major concern for us to keep everybody safe. That yes. includes players, that includes fans, and, and um, you know, you want to be able to bring your kids to the game and, and uh, have a wonderful time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there, there's obviously extra security there. And, and, uh, and I, but I think everybody, um, not, not that it, it excuses any bad behavior or anything else, but, you know, this has been a tough year um, or yes. a tough, you know, uh, 18 <laughs> months or whatever you want to, whatever you want to, you know, talk about just, you know, with, uh, you know, people being pent up, they haven't been able to go and celebrate uh, their favorite sport with their, with uh, their colleagues and, mm-hmm. and uh, able to, to go to live events. And, and so, you know, a lot of energy is pent up. Yep. I think we all realize that. Um, and so a little extra security probably doesn't help. It doesn't hurt. And, and um, you know, I know we're, we are, we are very focused on that. Uh, mm-hmm. No question. Keeping everybody safe. Mm-hmm. Um, paramount and, and making sure that that they uh meaning the fans and the players get to the players get to show up their great talents feel safe and secure and, and the fans come and just have a great time feeling safe and secure as well wow no that's that's good and, and that's great to hear and, and kiki on a positive note 75th anniversary i believe is next season right 21 is the 75th anniversary wow Amazing, you know, and that's the diamond. That will be the diamond anniversary. Yeah, 75 years. So the NBA now, will there be a 25, will there be 25 players added to the NBA 50? Will there be an NBA 75? Oh, wow. That's a good question. (laughs) I don't know, but I can can tell you uh, that my dad was playing in, in what I believe was the inaugural season of the Knicks. Yes, Ernie. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think, you know, we've got some special things planned as, as we always do. And, and, um, you know, this next year, I think is going to be significantly different. Um, you know, you're, we're seeing lots of positive trends and in, uh, you know, infection rates across the nation and, and, um, you know, people are starting to get out more, feel more comfortable, uh, get back to normal life. And, Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be a lot more of a normal experience. We hope we get back to sort of a normal cadence as far as the season goes. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's important, uh, you know, uh, that, that we do that. Uh, but, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a special season. But you know what? I got to tell you, they're all special. This is, mm-hmm. this is uh, you know, you think back at some of the games in the, in the first round of these playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, just amazing games, amazing competitions. And, you know, and by the way, you know, thank you to all the fans because the ratings were great. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's uh, people are starting to come back to the games, be in the arenas, watch more sports. And um, it's, it's really a great show. Uh, so I would encourage everybody, Hey, get out there and, and, and watch and, and root on your, your, uh, you know, for your team and your star, it makes a difference. It does. I can tell you, having been on the court, you know, you get the fans behind you, you feel better. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Wow. Here with the great Kiki Vandeway, Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations for the National Basketball Association, also two-time NBA All-Star, one of the great shooters in the history of the game. And, and Kiki, I'm going to go back to your time growing up. You were born in West Germany, when it was West Germany back then, you know, and everything. And your father, uh, Ernie Vandeway II, Ernest, uh, which you're the third, actually, um, and everything. And, and, and also your mom was 1952 Miss America. America, Connie K. Hutchins. And I mean, what was the foundation that they provided for you early in life? Because they were both in the public eye often. So how did they prepare you for that as you are second generation in that public eye, you know, as, as an athlete and now as a, as a, as a major um, decision maker for the league? Well, uh, you know, thank you for that. And I'm obviously very proud of my parents and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I have a great family, very lucky in, in that regard, and, and I recognize that. Mm-hmm. Um, provides lots of opportunities. And, and uh, you know, but I'll go back to something that we talked about right at the beginning. They, they provided a foundation um, and just really grounded us whenever we thought we were getting a little bit too good. You know, they uh, made sure that we knew that there were a lot of people either struggling or a lot better than we were at the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> both ends mm-hmm. of the spectrum. Yes. And so... We made sure that, uh, you know, they always tried to, to let us know and keep us focused on what was important, uh, what was important in life, you know, doing your schoolwork, making sure you got, you know, good grades and, and uh, before you could go out and play sports mm-hmm. and, you know, making sure that you helped others and, and gave back a little bit, uh, you know, rather than just focusing on your own career, made sure that, you know, you, you did some charity work and got out in the community and, uh, helped others. And uh, so, you know, just grounded in the fundamentals of what makes hopefully a good person, um, mm-hmm. you know, a productive person, a productive member of our, our society and, you know, make, make, uh, make everything just a, a bit better. But, you know, I think, I think one of the things that they really did was uh, made sure and, and demanded that we take responsibility for our actions, whatever those mm-hmm. actions are. Mm-hmm. And that's something very important to them is, you know, I don't want to hear excuses and, and uh, you know, a bunch of other stuff. Take responsibility, you know, own up to what you did or didn't do. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, make sure if you if you have something you stand for, make sure that you that you stand for that. And, you know, don't sort of look ahead to the consequences of, of you know, what you think is important and, and what you may say or do that, that others may not agree with. And, right. you know, so, you know, stand up for what you believe in and, and, uh, and actually stand for something, um, you know, not, it won't, won't always be popular and nobody who stands up for what they believe in and actually stands for something important and good uh, is always that popular or people, people are always, there's always going to be somebody who disagrees with you. Um, and then once, once you're able to do that and you're, you know, you're not afraid of the, the consequences, so to speak, you know. Don't be afraid of, of the hard work either. Put in the hard work. Um, that's something mm-hmm. that, you know, they, uh, they, they're always big on not only, you know, taking responsibility, standing up for something, but put in the hard work. Nobody's going to do it for you. Um, and they, they didn't do it for us. And they made sure that, you know, if you wanted something, you worked for it. Um, and there's all types of ways of saying that. But, you know, success is right on the other side of a lot of hard work. And I think they all they believe that and they ingrained it in 
every single one of us. And, and uh, But having said all of that, you know, to us and for all my parents, you know, success and, and notoriety, they were mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And they took care of us, which is hugely important. Yes. Well, absolutely. And, and, and now in Germany, how did you live in Germany for a certain amount of time or did, did you immediately during, you know, when you were a baby, move to the States? Uh, um, with your parents? My dad was in the Air Force. So oh, okay. I, was born, I was born on Air Force Base in mm-hmm. Germany. And uh, so really on, uh, I guess, on, on an Air Force Base, it's sort of American soil, but it's still so you have a little bit of kind of dual citizenship there. Um, so, but, you know, he traveled around a bit, ended up coming out to California and, and uh, you know, he's, uh, he's from New York. So we lived in New York for a little while and ended up in uh, Englewood, right down the street from the forum, as wow. a matter of fact, mm-hmm. where they built the forum. Uh, that's where his office was. And so he, he was a doctor, uh, mm-hmm. a medical doctor, and, and um, he, uh, you know, um, brought us out to California. And I think the reason we came out is because that's where my mom was from. So she was from yeah. uh, Pasadena or Arcadia and uh, loved, loved California. And, and, she uh, represented Utah, though, in the um, she, in Miss America. She, she, she went to the University of Utah and BYU. Ah. So she went to Bolton. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's that's why she, she represented there. But she's, she's actually from California originally. So mm. where, wherever mom wanted to go, then that's where we went. <laughs> yep, because it's always listen to the woman. I know what that's all about. <laughs> well, we have in, in, in our house, we have a there's there's a writing or a saying that's on the wall that is true in many households. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So <laughs> make sure mom is happy. Wow, true that. Wow, what what a great lineage your family and 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 then you went on to UCLA. Coach Larry Brown was the head coach. His first college uh, coaching job because he was uh, in the ABA, you know, coaching for Carolina, I believe, and then Denver, the Denver Nuggets. Um, what were the 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 qualities that he had that made him that foreshadowed him to be a great head coach, a Hall of Fame head coach? Oh, well, co- Coach Coach Brown. Um, you know, Larry Brown and UB Brown, um, you know, those guys just knew the game. They really knew basketball and they had a great ability to see what you could do and bring out the best in you. So I was very lucky. I had great coaches at UCLA, uh, you know, started off with Gene Bartow, who was a great coach. That's right. UAB, right? UAB. UAB. After that, after that. Yeah, after, after UCLA. Mm-hmm after UCLA exactly. And then um, Gary Cunningham, who was a wooden disciple Mm -hmm. uh, for two years. And then of course, Larry Brown, um, who, uh, you know, really helped me sort of develop into the the type of player that that maybe was uh, somebody who could succeed in the, in the pro ranks. So gave you a lot of confidence and, and um, you know, but he really just understood the game and he understood Mm -hmm what you could do to make a team successful. And I think that was something that was hugely important to him is to give you skills to be able to help a team and really focus on not necessarily scoring a whole bunch of points, but looking for what you could do to make the team better mm-hmm. and to, to pull the overall success of the team. And so, you know, every day he just tried to get a little bit better with something Coach Wooden tried as well. Every day you try to be a little bit better 
and um, and that was that was kind of his mantra. And you know, he was uh, took myself and and four freshmen to the, the finals in the NCAA mm-hmm. tournament when nobody expected us to. We were the last last selection in the NCAA tournament and ended up wow. in the in the finals. Uh, lost to a great uh, Louisville team mm-hmm. coached the great Denny Crum. Um, right. Dr. You know, Duncan Stein, excuse me. <laughs> Dr. Duncan, Errol Griffith, Dr. Duncan Stein, they had, a, they had a really, really good team. And, uh, you know, but we had a, we had just a blast, you know, just really, really a lot of fun. Um, right. at, at that time. Great, great memories. Wow, Kiki and the kids. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. And, and Kiki, and then it's interesting. You go to the Denver Nuggets and you're part of a revolutionary offensive juggernaut that really has um, it, it's it's kind of what the NBA is about today. When you think about the ball movement and the fast pace and everything and Doug Moe, who was one, Larry Brown's best friend, basically, you know, was yeah. your head coach. Wow. Small world. You know, when you were playing in that offense, did you see this offense, you know, having the staying power that it is today as you're in the league office yourself now. Yeah, it was, you know, it was, uh, Doug Moe was a very unique individual and a, just a tremendous coach. Um, you know, his only rule was, you know, if you're standing, you're wrong. Um, so move someplace, do something. And, you know, so we, we had a, a motion offense that is used pretty much today. I think it, I don't know where it originally came from, uh, you know, probably, uh, you know, it's a Carolina offense and, and uh, mm-hmm. something that Larry Brown taught as well. This the, right. the motion, motion type offense is something that's utilized today a great yeah. deal. John McClendon. Yeah, John McClendon. Mm-hmm. exactly right. So, you know, it was it was we scored a lot of points, uh, lots of shots and, and um, created a lot of easy shots very quick in the shot clock, which is something that if you, you go back and look at uh, you know, the Phoenix Suns when Steve Nash was playing, mm-hmm. and, uh, Stoudemire, some of those people, you know, they shot, you know, they have a seven, I think a seven second or less offense mm-hmm. uh, by the great Mike D'Antoni designed this offense. But that was really a sort of a little bit of a throwback offense um, mm-hmm. to the 80s where you just shot very quickly and created shots very quickly early in the offense, which proved to be, proved to be very efficient, um, you know, way to score. So mm-hmm. anyway... Um, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun, uh, playing in the offense. One thing I remember is, uh, you know, it had, uh, three stars when I got to, the team. uh, you know, it had Alex English, Dan Issel and David Thompson, oh. uh, Skywalker. So That's right. just really great, great stars. And, and what they did, um, and, and one of my best friends, uh, turned out to be Alex English and, and we were very close together. You know, I was somebody who scored points too, and and uh, you know took a lot of didn't always take a lot of shots, but I but I but I did shoot a lot, and they never said anything about that. They welcomed me into the family, which was mm-hmm. I always remembered that because you know sometimes you get you know you get teams and you know stars sometimes are a little bit jealous of each other, and and uh, you know they were established stars, they were big scorers in the league, highly successful. And then you have sort of this young upstart me that came into <laughs> came in and, and uh, was taking some of their shots. Um, but they just encouraged me. And that was something that, that I always remembered how great that made me feel as a person, as a player, the confidence that it gave me. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
it's it's a it's a great thing to remember. But I always be grateful for that, um, you know, and made sure that I felt comfortable and, and at home. So that was that was something, you know, to start off my MBA career, um, you know, was something that I always try to tell players too when they start off is find a mentor, find somebody yes. that you admire. That vet, that vet, that vet. A vet. Sure, doing something that you would like to do and play the way you would like to play and stand for what you want to stand for. And then, you know, get close to them, get it, get, get, get the advice from that person. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, it's, I was very lucky to have great mentors, great coaches throughout my career, just mm -hmm. tremendous coaches, everybody. I went to the John Wooden sports camps. You know, I started playing basketball when I was 13 and went to a couple of, those, of his camps, which was, mm -hmm. so I consider him a coach uh, of mine, you know, from Larry Brown, we talked about Gene Bartow to Doug Moe and, and uh, you know, on, on and on, I had the great Jack Ramsey as a coach, wow. which, was, which was great. Pat Riley was a coach yes. of mine. Yes. Uh, so just learned so much and so lucky to have those people just sort of guide a young player um, on his journey. And, and um, you know, you can learn, you can learn so much from coaches and, and uh, whatever, whatever your experience is, whether you're the star of the team or sitting at the end of the bench, mm -hmm. there is always a way to get better and always a way to learn. Yes, no question about that. Now, Kiki, it was interesting. I remember uh, I used to work with uh, uh, Eddie Johnson and I uh, used to produce him and he talked about you were, his toughest cover because the way you would move without the ball, it was like, he, he just like, I, I, I had to chase Kiki every game I played against him. Like he was so difficult to cover. The skill set that you brought to the table, that step back jumper, they call it the Kiki move right there. You know, like that's, that should be what it's called. You talked about fundamentals, but how you were able to enhance those fundamentals to be unstoppable in your day as an all-star. Well, first of all, the players of today are so much more talented and they, they, they do it. They do those step back moves better than I ever I could. And, and uh, you know, and further out, too. I mean, I watched, you know, Lillard and, and some of these other guys and, and Trey Young and, and uh, lots of players just, you know, use use a step back move from 30 feet mm -hmm. and which we never even thought of doing. Right. But, uh, you know, it was, it was uh <laughs> Again, you know, I think, but they have the same things in common uh, to some of the players when, when I played as well. And, and uh, people, you know, people like Bernard King and, and um, Larry Bird and, and uh, Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan, you know, the people who scored a lot of points. And, and um, you know, players of today, they have great fundamentals, as I said before, they have great balance. Mm -hmm. um, do a step back move, you need great balance to make mm -hmm. that successful. That's so right. they understood the game. They understood all of that. So, you know, we, we, we played, I, I played in an era that was, you know, maybe a little bit rougher. Um, mm -hmm. you know, there was more contact in the eighties and nineties. Uh, you know, you were able to, to uh, be a little bit more physical on defense, um, wow. you know, and, and uh, but, you know, that just shows you how great this game has evolved. You know, you, you look at, you know, maybe in the nineties and our game slowed down a lot, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, uh, you know, the people who were, uh, at that time, um, 
you know, in charge of, of the game. And I think Rob Thorne was, was, was part of it. And, mm-hmm. and uh, Jerry Colangelo was part of it. Yeah. And, both my, both were guests on my show. <laughs> yes, yeah, indeed. They, they did a tremendous oh. job of, of really, you know, looking at the, looking at the rules and, and how are we going to adjust the rules and whether it's a rule change or an interpretation change of the rule, you know, they opened up the game. They made it what it is today. And, and, um, you know, it really has a couple things that are um, that, that really changed the game. One was the, the rule changes we just talked about. Um, you know, the second is analytics. Uh, you know, how and analytics really is, it's sort of a lens into the future. If, if I do this, what will happen? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it does, because it doesn't always help to, to tell you how you lost, except to how you're going to win going forward. And so, you, it's sort of a lens into the future and think about analytics in that way. All the algorithms that are put together tell you how to put a team together or how should you go right or should you go left or should you force a defender to shoot a jump shot or back off a, um, and, and, you know, as, as a defender and back off an offensive player so they shoot a jump shot. So all these things are important and analytics has really uh, changed the way the game is played more three-pointers at this point, um, you know, than ever were shot before, ever. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, the corner three-pointer being uh, the most the most taken three-pointer and the most efficient shot, uh, yes. most efficient three-pointer. Um, mm-hmm. And then the last thing is the international players, the great international players that have come into our game right. and really changed the way the game is played. You know, big guys, you think about starting with, uh, you know, you're going back to one that people knew, Dirk Ravinsky, who, mm-hmm. you know, sort of changed how a seven-footer was thought of, you know. Mm-hmm. Seven-footers played down by the basket. You know, you had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and some of the great mm-hmm. centers, um, Lajuan, who who played close to the basket. Well, Dirk played way out by the three-point line. That's right. And, you know, now Jokic plays out by the three-point line. Mm-hmm. Dirk I- takes shots. So, you know, the advent of international players into our game, you know, our league is, is 25% international players. People don't recognize that. Yeah. It's amazing. And they've really changed the way the game's played. You know, they've opened it up a lot more movement, um, but we have a lot more pick and rolls uh, because of it. You have big guys who, instead of rolling to the basket, sort of pop out and shoot jump shots now Mm -hmm. and -hmm. handle the ball like guards. So point guard skills are, are at a premium and, and um, you know, but if you think back, those three things, rule changes, analytics, international players, um, and international influences, expansion or globalization of our game are the three big drivers of our game today. Well, absolutely. Arvidas Sabonis, that's someone I, I always think, oh my goodness, yeah. if he played in his prime <laughs> in the league, he already was was a tremendous player. I call Jokic uh, Sabonis the second, even though we have DeMontis, who's actually Arvidas' son, you know, in the league, yeah. but who was a, a talent himself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, definitely. Wow. So, such a great lineage of great players. He had such a long, illustrious career in playing for you to build your skill set, because I look at the forwards in the league in the eighties. I mean, there was Alex English, your teammates, Alex English, Dan and so, but there was doc, you know, Dr. J there was bird. There was Aguirre, Bernard King, Dominique, 
Adrian Dantley, you know, like Marcus Johnson. It's like, oh my God. So it's like, I mean, the talent at the forward position, I, I think it's, it's equivalent to the guard position now of the plethora of guards. But the forward position, I don't think there's been any, any period deeper like that in the 80s. I think you're right. You know, every era sort of has their, their star players or star mm-hmm. position. You know, today, as you point out, is, is sort of the guard position. Mm-hmm. You know, although, you know, Jokic and Embiid might argue with you there, they sort of play like guards, you know. <laughs> and, you know, but you've got great guards. Back when I played, you had a, a lot of really high-scoring small forwards. And, and every night, um, even even the players that, that uh, maybe didn't get quite the publicity, uh, you know, the Eddie Johnsons of the world, mm-hmm. uh, just a tremendous shooter, tremendous yes. player. Uh, John Drew, who played for Atlanta. Right. Mm-hmm. He was just fantastic. And, you know, they remember Bernard King, but he had a younger brother, brother Albert. Albert King. <laughs> who, was, who was great, too, you know, and, and uh, just Every night you had these great players, Jamal Wilkes, Worthy, you know. Right, oh Worthy. My, oh, you know, every night. Yeah, no, it was just it was just amazing. Chris Mullen sort of came at the tail end of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tom Chambers was yes. was part of that group. And, mm-hmm. and um X Man too, X Man as well. Yeah. X Man was 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 right there. He was really tough. So, you know. It, it, it was an era where you had a, a lot of great players at, at sort of that small forward position. And it was just fun. You know, you, you live for when you, when you're a young player, you live to compete against the best. Mm-hmm. And you always dreamed of, you know, competing in the NBA. That's everybody's uh, who plays basketball, either wants to play in the WNBA or the NBA, um, you know, and, and you just dream about playing against the best. So when you, are able to compete against the best on a nightly basis. You know, that is something that is, you know, I don't even know how to describe it, except, you know, you, you have a dream and as a young player, as you, maybe you'll get there, but the, the reality of playing in the NBA is even better than the dream. It really is. And, you know, you're, you're playing with the best in the world and competing against the best in the world. And of course, now I get to watch the best in the world yeah. compete. It's just tremendous. I just, you know, I, I can't, I can't, uh, whoever, whoever got me to this position and there are many, I can't thank them enough. Um, wow. You know, just very lucky to be here. And, and uh, we have a tremendous commissioner, you know, who took over yes. for David Stern, who mm-hmm. arguably was, at the time thought of as, as the best commissioner of all time. Well, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, da- and David was great in his time, but, you know, we arguably have the best commissioner of all time yes. as our commissioner. Wow. Now, who, who really, you know, the interesting thing about Adam Silver is, is, is uh, he's, he's obviously very smart. I mean, mm-hmm. I think everyone re- recognizes that, mm-hmm. uh, but he also gets it. He gets what's important. And mm-hmm. that's a big difference. You know, he gets that, you know, everybody needs an equal opportunity to succeed, that diversity is important, that um, lots listening to voices and being inclusive um, is important. And, mm-hmm. you know, th- those are things that the NBA stands for. You know, listen, the, the, the game is great, but, you know, you have to recognize that it starts zero, zero. 
every every night. Everyone That's has right. an opportunity, and mm-hmm. you know it's it's how hard have you worked? What's your talent level? Um, ends up, you know, and and do you have the you know the fortitude to see it through to the end? These games are hard to win, <laughs> and you know, in in many ways, just like life is, is at times hard. Mm-hmm. And Adam just has a way of, of seeing through to the most important things and just a knack for making the right decision. And, you know, you look at his, some of the things that he's decided on. Oh. decided on, yes. Uh, I've been tough for any commissioner. And he's just, you know, instead of viewing them as problems, he's viewed them as solutions and, and turned them into opportunities for change and, and positive change. Uh, which is just you know, a lot of admiration from all of us who work with him and, and all of us who see him as, as a colleague. No doubt. And, and I wanted to to talk about Adam Silver. He segue perf- right into my next question. How I'm trying has- to help you out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's telepathy, telepathy we got going on. <laughs> but um, but but Kiki, it's um it's great how Adam saw you. He believed in you to be a leader within the National Basketball Association. You know, like he encouraged you to go to Stanford to a program to kind of work on leadership and development and everything like that. That's amazing to have that faith and and also talk about how Roth Thorne was such a great mentor to you as well. Those two are like guardian angels for you, I would say, right? Well, I've been, you know, as I said, I've been like very, very lucky. Mm-hmm. I can't get him enough for allowing me the opportunity to uh, do this job and be part of a game that I love and be part of a game that I've been around for a long time. And, and really with the charge to make the game better. Um, you know, when I was hired originally, um, David Stern hired me along with Adam and David was still the commissioner. And he said, look, you know, I want you to modernize basketball operations. It's behind the times. And, you know, you did a, you did a, which was a high praise. This is high praise from David Stern. You did an okay job with your other teams, you know, and, you know, you were an okay player and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, but then come in and redo basketball operations. And, you know, so, uh, you know, we, we started with, uh, you know, just making it more, more collaborative and took, took a page out of Adam's book and, and say, we, we, we need to really include everybody in our mission here. It can't be just us, you know, it's, we can lead, but, you know, people have to follow you to, to, to be a leader and they have to believe in what you're doing. So being more collaborative and understanding sort of what, what people need and doing the things that I would have wanted as a player and as mm. a fan. And, um, you know, as somebody who you know, was lucky enough to be a coach and, and somebody who, you know, was part of the media for a little while, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and we able to do some really interesting things. You know, we started within the league, the first analytic basketball analytics department and, you know, didn't have one before. Mm-hmm. Um, and a number of other changes that that really have grown and, and um, you know, people do it so much better today. But, you know, we've been able to redo the lottery, design the design the play in tournament, um, you know, yes. bring about the coach's challenge, mm-hmm. uh, have it, you know, really enhance, I think, freedom of movement, what was started in maybe the early 2000s, which you referenced, uh, Colangelo and Thorne changed the rules and, and uh, you know, with international players and big men who could step out, you know, freedom of movement's hugely important. So mm-hmm. enhancing that and, you know, reducing, uh, back-to-backs in, in our game so players can get better rest mm-hmm. and, you know, understanding the travel schedule and how hard it is as a player to 
you know, play one night and then uh, turn around and, and play the next night and maybe the next night too. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, getting them rest because they'll be able to perform and last longer as players. And, and uh, you know, the time of the year is, you know, sort of the second season, as Pat Riley called it, and, and you know, in the playoffs, right. being at your right. best then. Mm-hmm. And so all those things are important. And, um, you know, what's what really, again, uh, I thought was important with basketball operations, it needed to be integrated into the business of the NBA. And we needed to, we needed to align. And there's always a little bit of give and take between business and basketball and what's what's good and how do we how do we make it all work together but they need to be aligned and integrated so that communication and collaboration um you know was something that i always thought it, when i was with teams was mm-hmm. was very very important bringing fans the best quality product and the best team wow. that you could possibly bring them and, and uh I think taking those those ideas and, and making sure that you instituted them at the league level um, was important. And then, you know, I, I also think that uh, truly we have a tremendous opportunity. Basketball has turned into, you know, thanks to Adam Silver, a, you know, a global game. And mm-hmm. so you know, it influences, uh, you know, young people all over the world. And, you know, they just started a, uh, uh, an African league. Um, yes, right. Very successful and, and very exciting. Um, you know, so there's there's leagues all over the world, and, and you know we have basketball without borders, which is mm-hmm. a program that brings basketball to young people everywhere, every corner of the of the world. And and so today, and I spend a lot of time traveling. Today, you can't go anywhere in the world, no playground in the world, and you mm-hmm. go to, and they don't know the NBA. I have a couple more questions for you. I'll let you go for sure. G League, a lot of players foregoing college to be able to use their year, you know, the year that they have to be sure. part of the G League and get professional coaching, everything like that. Do you think this could be a trend in the next 10 years where all the top, like every top 20 recruit of each class will end up doing that? Well, I think we all still believe in education and mm. in school. I want to say that first. Mm-hmm. Uh, all support the, you know, the, college and NCA system and, and um, you know think you you know it's a, it's you learn things from being in school uh, not only from books and from class but it's an experience as well so you know but having said that school is not for everybody it's not everybody's path and so I think the the idea of the G League you know sort of going and, and um, having players come straight out of high school uh, is gives people um, who really maybe don't have uh, you know either the, the desire um, or they let's just say it this way that is not their path um, and mm-hmm. so this provides an alternative path and if you think about it you know to develop athletes who has the best resources in the world the best coaches the, the best training equipment um, the most mm-hmm. knowledge uh, to take care of and develop young athletes. And I think that was the G League's mission, in, mm-hmm. in the, starting with Team Ignite, um, mm-hmm. which has been a big success. Uh, you know, they've done a great job developing young athletes. And that was really, you know, it started off as a development league. And at its core, it's got development, um, mm-hmm. you know, but it also not only players, 
a lot of people don't know it develops young coaches, it develops young referees. All the referees we have in our league have gone through the G League. Yes. So, and young executives too. So there's a big developmental path. And then also, you know, it's an innovative path too. A lot of the rule changes, in fact, most of the rule changes that you see in our game today were tried out first in the G League. Mm-hmm. And so there's a real pathway there um, and it's sort of this incubation lab that we can utilize as it, you know, as it work and, and you know, as it makes sense and, and we're able to utilize the G League in that way too. So you can see sort of new rules unfolding right before your eyes if you go to a G League game. Mm-hmm. And you know, sort of the next generation of great young talent um, developed within the G League. So a lot of, lot of positives about the G League and, and um, you know, but again, you know, I think we're all in favor of education, no doubt about it. And I think the G League provides a version of education. And I know they're very focused in, in that way, uh, not only on the basketball court, but life skills as well. Well, here with Kiki Vandeway on the 43rd edition of Where They At. My name is Nabat House. The play-in tournament, the games that, that it generated over the past two years, I mean, isn't that something how it worked out? And talk about any future alterations or future plans with the playing tournament moving forward. Yeah, so, you know, the, the playing tournament is kind of interesting. Um, you know, the playing tournament has to be voted in. Um, so voted in by the Board of Governors. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously that's, uh, I'm very supportive of it. No, no, no secret about that. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's similar to a lot of things that the NBA has done. You know, it was, it was sort of first discussed way back in 2013, believe it or not, 2013 and 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I remembered uh, Doc Rivers and, and myself, and Rick Carlisle, and, mm-hmm. and some of the basketball guys were just sort of, you know, kind of kicking it around and had a college experience with, with one and done and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, you know, this, this sudden death type idea of a game and how exciting that was. And so it blended with the idea of how we're going to, how are we going to keep teams, more teams really focused, um, you know, going into the playoffs, latter half of the season, and how could we generate interest there? Um, so the idea kind of came from that. And then, um, you know, we have a group uh, within the NBA strategy and analytics, which really uh, oversees many of the aspects of the season and, and the schedule and, and um, things like that. And really sort of took the idea and, and formed it. And, um, you know, and it wasn't popular at the beginning, mm-hmm. but I think uh, the bubble last year really gave the right atmosphere and the right environment to try it out and mm-hmm. to say, hey, well, could this work? And, you know, does it make sense? And um, I think everyone, you know, listen, it's got its detractors too, mainly mainly people who, uh, you know, finished in the seventh or eighth spot or, or you know, <laughs> ended up in six and didn't want to go to seven. And, and uh, but, you know, listen, I understand that, but that's that sort of fueled the competitive uh, nature, but a very popular. The ratings were great. And I think uh, mm-hmm. overall, everybody really enjoyed it um, and uh, had a great time, whether you were playing in it or whether you got as a fan, you got to watch it. 
We have new teams, the Utah Jazz, Phoenix Suns. I mean, new teams with fresh young blood, Atlanta Hawks, that are doing great things in the playoffs. So which team do you see being the next Golden State Warriors, that juggernaut that comes out of nowhere to, to have a run of excellence for like the five, five plus years? You know, it's a, it's, it, first of all, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think you look at, uh, you know, you look at our league right now and just the opportunity. I mean, you know, this, this year, given the, the, the people who are in the, the, you know, the teams that are in the, the tournament right now and the playoffs right now, we're going to have a, you know, uh, a new champion. Um, we've had a new champion in the last four years and mm-hmm. we're going to have a, you know, a new champion who hasn't been a champion for quite a long time, <laughs> you know, just, just based on, you know, the teams that are, that are in there, somebody's going to never, never been a champ, <laughs> maybe never been a champion in the last 30 years, mm-hmm. you know, hasn't been a champion. And so they'll have an opportunity. So I, I think that's, that's something that to answer your question, I'm going to dodge it a little bit, but I'm going to say that the opportunity for so many new teams Big market, small market, you know, just because the way our, our world is set up and, and uh, the, the way people view games now, whether on their mobile phone or, you know, some type of streaming device or in person, you know, have an opportunity really to see this game for, uh, you know, all the great talent that it brings. And, and uh, they're not looking at whether it's a, it's a gigantic market or, or a smaller market. That doesn't matter as much. What matters is what happens out on the court and what do they get to see, um, you know, on that on that mobile device. And, and uh, just like we talked about before, you know, they see things that have never been seen before that players are doing today that, wow, you know, couldn't even be imagined 10, 15 years ago. And they get to see it no matter where they are. It doesn't matter. They can be in Mexico, Canada, South America, India, Africa, China, <laughs> Europe, you know, yeah. or, you know, downtown New York City. And it's, you know, they can all watch that same game and all root together for their favorite star. And, and um, that's what makes this so great. Wow. Well, I have to say, Mr. Kiki Vandeweghe, it's such an honor to have you on the show. I thank you for your time. This is the busiest time of the year, the playoffs and the National Basketball Association. You're overseeing everything that's going on, you know, uh, and, and I, I'm so honored that you came on to the 43rd edition of where they had to speak with me and uh, always a pleasure to know you and, and, and such an inspiration for not just what you've accomplished on the court and off the court, but also your demeanor and, and the class that you exude. Uh, and I appreciate your time on where they're at. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm grateful too. That's, that, that's one thing we try to start off every day. Remember, hey, got a lot to be grateful for, you know? And uh, I, think it was, uh, I think it was Denzel Washington who said, put your shoes way under your bed. Why? Because every morning you start, you have to get on your knees for a second. That's right. That's right. Just remember, we all have something to be thankful for. So thank you for having me on. Thank you all for listening to the 43rd edition of Where They At. My name is Nabate Owls, and I had the honor to speak with Kiki Vandeweghe. What a wonderful player he was, two-time NBA All-Star, and also a great executive in the National Basketball Association as a general manager, and also currently 
the executive vice president of basketball operations for the National Basketball Association. What a wonderful individual. Great conversation. Learned so much from him. I hope you all learned as well uh, a lot from him and his journey and insight that he provided on the game of basketball as well as what he does for the NBA. He's one of the main leaders of the National Basketball Association for sure and how we see the game today. So if you want to listen to other interviews with such luminaries like Kiki, you can subscribe and rate on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, as well as Catropolis Radio Network, which is catropolis.net, C-A-S-T-R-O-P-O-L-I-S.net. They uh, stream my podcast every Monday nights at 8 p.m. And they also have a page where you can hear all past episodes of where they at on um, their website. So, and if you love the music, make sure to go on my website which is N-A-B-A-T-E-I-S-L-E-S, nabateows.com. You can listen to tracks from my album, Eclectic Excursions, and also see what I'm up to musically and everything with this pandemic starting to subside and live music starting to come back for sure. So you can check out my website for updates. And I thank you all once again for listening to Where They At with uh, Kiki Vandaway, 43rd edition. My name is Nabateows. Be well, be safe, treat each other with kindness and respect. And I'll see you all next time. Make sure to check out past episodes, subscribe or rate. All right. Take care, everybody. God bless. Bye-bye.